Uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, friends beyond the binary, my patron peeps, it's time for the podcaster that's here not to aerate your water, but to aerate your dreams uh, or your thoughts so you can dream. Thanks for supporting me, patrons. Sleep With Me is also made possible by the hard work of Carl W. and Chris Posty Posterson, who edit episodes. Uh, Chris also did our theme music. Uh, Jonathan Mann is on our songs, uh, lullabies at Jonathan. Uh, oh, he's on our lullabies. He's our mystery bard. You could commission a song from him at song.jonathanman.net. Uh, Kenny, Scotty, and Jennifer are on our, on our, on our artwork. Uh, Eric and the team at Astound are on our website. Uh, we're a part of Night Vale Presents and PRX, and I want to thank uh, everybody over there. You can check out all the great shows at nightvalepresents.com and everything PRX does at prx.org. I'm at Dearest Scooter on Twitter, but I think you're probably forgetting something. But you know who never forgets to be kind to one another are the listeners in the listener Facebook group. And they're moderated by example uh, by volunteer moderators uh, Laura and Stacy, Keith and Sarah, and Julian Jennifer. And, uh, that's it. Let's get on with the show. Uh, hey, are you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble staying asleep? Well, welcome. This is Sleep With Me, the podcast that puts you to sleep. We do it with a bedtime story. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights, and press play. I'm going to do the rest. What I'm going to attempt to do is create a safe place where you could set aside whatever's keeping you awake, whether it's uh, thoughts uh, that are, you know, that keep coming up, uh, physical sensations that are that are distracting you from sleeping, emotions that are bubbling up, whatever it is. It could be travel, a change in routine, a change in weather. Maybe you work the second or the third shift. Uh, whatever it is I'd like to help in, what I'm going to do is ideally... Earn your trust uh, by treating you with dignity and respect uh, and making you feel welcome. I'm going to send my voice across the deep, dark night. I'm going to use a lulling, soothing, creaky dulcet tones. Tones, not tomes. I don't think I've used tomes in the podcast before, so maybe I just crossed my fingers so I remember that, which I'll probably definitely forget. Uh, but uh, creaky dulcet to- tones, pointless meanders, uh, rustified tangents. I'm going to go off topic. I'm going to say I have a lot of, uh, I don't have ums. I think I go, uh, I do a lot of that uh, when I open my mouth. Uh, I was never good at that as a kid when the, they'd say, hey, open your mouth. Uh, open your mouth and say, ah. And I'd say, no, I prefer to say no, thank you. And they say, no, no, open your mouth and say, ah. And say no, anyway. Hopefully, here you you open your mouth and you say, "Oh, oh." see if I could get a uh, a cheap, uh, sympathetic yawn out of you." I think I just sympathetically yawned myself, but um, uh, don't I? (laughs) This is a big point. These are the kinds of things that crack me up. Where was I, though? I think I, I think I lost where I was because I was so busy uh, pandering to the part of me that thinks yawning's funny. Yeah, hopefully I'll remember tone. Oh, Creaky Doll said tones, pointless meanders, uh, filler words. Yeah, I yeah, use a lot of filler words. 
to, to, that's totally planned out, my use of filler words. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to keep you company while you fall asleep. If you're new, this podcast is a little bit different. It does not make a whole lot of sense. It's extremely goofy. It's extremely goofy like a, a, a goofy friend. So ideally, that's what you're looking for. Uh, give it a few tries. Uh, try to relax and not make a whole lot of sense of it. You don't have to do that, though. You could, you can, you know, you can pay close attention too. But I really want you to know I'm here to help, and I'm here to try to help. So uh, let me help you by giving you the structure of the show. We start off with a few minutes of business. That's how we keep the show going. Then we have an intro. The intros are normally around 12 minutes, although they may be 10, 11, 17, 15, 16. 13 or 14 minutes with any kind of seconds in there. And it's a bit of a show within a show, a monologue heavy on the log part, uh, for sure. A monologue that lands like a log in mud, you say, boom, blop. Uh, but really, it's where I try to make a metaphor about the podcast where you might be like, oh, that doesn't make any sense, that metaphor. Oh, okay, I think I get it. Uh, and some people use it to wind down the the intro. Some people, a few people skip the intro. Uh, other people uh, fall asleep during the intro. Some people listen all night. And that kind of goes into my first point is that you don't really need to listen to me. You can listen and I'll be here till the end uh, to try to keep you company and to take your mind off of stuff. But you don't need to listen or you could just stop listening to me. Or slowly uh, tune me out where I'm, I'm drifting further and further away. You can lower me to a mumble uh, if you wish. Uh, but you don't have to pay close attention. I think that's what I was uh, meant to say. Nothing like a tome. Also, when I say tome, I want to say Fanoni, Fanoni phone. Uh, that's another. I, I think I've given uh, uh, fla that's like f flavor flavor reference. But so you don't really need to listen to me. Uh, and there's no pressure to fall asleep. I'm going to be here for about an hour to keep you company, to be your boar friend, your boar bay, your boar bud, your boar cuz. If you're in the San Diego region, your Barbara. Uh, whatever it is, I'm going to be here uh, to keep you company because I've been there tossing and turning and sleepless. And it feels as heavy. When you can't sleep, it feels as heavy as a tome. And a tome to me, T O M E. I don't know if you should. I don't think you should ever get in bed with a tome. I mean, maybe if you're a no, if you're a gnome, then uh, you maybe you do. Like, I guess you could see a gnome with a tome, a gnome and tome, a gnome in Rome uh, carries a, t a gnome with a tome in Rome. Uh, come on, throw me a bone. That doesn't that doesn't rhyme. Uh, but it's, because a tome to me seems heavy, it seems dusty. And it seems like it's got that cover, could have some runes on it. And you say, okay, what's going to happen when I open this tome? Or if you're an assistant to like some sort of a sorceress or sorcerer, they say, you know, after you're finished mopping, make sure to read that tome, uh, but not the tome with the blue binder, you know, the tome with the, the pea green one uh, for novices. But you're not even, you know, and they say, make sure you know that tome by heart. And it's say, well, actually, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Lady Witchbeard. I got to get, I'm going to try to get some sleep tonight. Actually, I've been mopping all day. 
They say, what kind of, you know, assist, magic assistant are you? And I said, well, I w- this actually happened when I w- took gymnastics class. I don't know if I ever said this on the podcast, and this is a total tangent. Uh, uh, but I think if I, if I ever did live in a hamlet somewhere, where in a world where tomes were regularly used, and I, you know, they, my parents said, well, we want you to go live with Lady Witchbeard. You'll be, you said you wanted to be a magic user. And, uh, she's, uh, you know, the, the, the one that, uh, you know, if you're her assistant to her assistant, uh, one day, you know, she'll school you in the arts of sorcery. Uh, this same thing would happen, which was like, I took a gymnastics class, uh, well, I signed up for like the introductory, my parents signed me up, but I don't know how old I was. But I'd probably just watch the Olympics, and I said, Mom, Dad, I got, I got the Olympic spirit in me, and I want to be a gymnast. And so they signed me up for a gymnastics class, and I went, and uh, I remember the first day we were, uh, I, 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 a lot of the details are hazy, but we were, what's that thing called, the horse, uh, the pommel horse, or uh, the one where you jump over it. Uh, all we would do is we were running and then jumping on the thing. And I remember pulling the person aside. And I'm not usually like this, but I said, well, when are we going to be springing off of that thing and flipping? When do the flipping, when's the flipping start? And I said, listen, uh, teach, like, uh, I said, which I, I'm going to go get some water. When, when I can start flipping, how many flips will I be able to do after the first class? And whatever the answer the person said, and I was serious too. I said, well, I expect to be doing some sort of, uh, one of those, you know, corkscrews, uh, triple corks. Like, uh, is this where I do axles and sow cows or is that in, uh, cause I think I want to be able to do that in two years in the winter. Uh, but I thought this was called vaulting, not running and stepping on a spring thing. And they sighed and they said, uh, whatever they said, they said, yeah, we'll be, we'll be, uh, you won't be doing anything for like six months. And I said, okay, well, uh, life lesson, I guess the raw, at that time I I said, I guess, uh, this isn't the gymnastics class for me. And then my parents said, well, uh, you know, the first lesson's free. I think they probably learned that. So that was a good life lesson for them is uh, don't buy the year package, which hopefully they didn't do. Um, I don't know what my point was. I mean, I think, like, I wonder if anybody's any gymnasts have done, uh, well, one, is there a world where gnomes are doing gymnastics? Of course there are. Is there a world where tomes are doing gymnastics? Of course. Uh, are there tomes on gy- gymnastics uh, featuring gnomes? Probably. And this podcast can be a bit like that. If your brain works like my do, mine does, kind of, it's like, uh, well, why haven't I made progress? Why isn't this instantly happening? I'm sure that night I, I probably said, I mean, I'm sure the night before my gymnastics class, when I was paging through my imaginary uh, tomes about my gymnastics victories at the upcoming Olympics, I was thinking about, well, to by this time tomorrow, I'll be able to do a double axle or some sort, you know, I'll be tumbling, I'll be rumbling. And that's it. All my problems at school, this is really how my brain works. I said, that's it. After this first gymnastics class, I'm going to be on easy street. And then I'm sure the next night after I said, well, 
So I checked off my list. I said, okay, gymnastics didn't fix everything. Uh, uh, what could be the next thing? Uh, chemistry set was probably the next thing on my list. Uh, but they can kind of leave you tossing, turning, at least for me, to be like, huh, what is this? They think they call it all-or-nothing thinking or fantastic. I, I, but uh, I guess what it comes down to is whether you're a kid or an adult, it's not easy. And sometimes you have ideas and sometimes you have – this episode will have a little bit of a visit from my internal critic, a short visit, uh, where you see, well, how come it's hard to get ideas out sometimes? Uh, what prevents them from getting out and breathing and seeing what they're like and and that kind of pressure that we can put on ourselves? And for me, I, I would love the honor of being able to relieve some of that pressure for you uh, by just coming in. Uh, goofing around like I do in these intros, and then tonight kind of telling you a little bit of a story. It takes place in beautiful downtown Oakland, California, and even features a visit from a challenge coin. So if that sounds good, just see how it goes. If if you're new, give the show a few tries. Like the reviewers, literally 90-something percent of them say, it took two or three times uh, till I realized the show was... uh, not meant to be taken seriously, and I could just kick back and enjoy it and fall asleep. Uh, and if it doesn't work for you, you know, I, I like, uh, there's some cool things on LibriVox. There's other things. There's uh, uh, Shipping News is another podcast. Uh, uh, you could check out the Shipping News, uh, so that's something to check out. Uh, but, we're, we're, yeah, I don't know. I guess, like, I'm here to help. Whether you're a gnome, a tome, or, uh, you know, a, a, a kid gymnast or a kid that went to one gymnastics class, uh, I believe you deserve a good night's sleep, and I'd like to help. I appreciate you coming by. Not only do I wish it, I yearn and I strive to help you fall asleep. Thanks so much. And here's a couple of ways we keep the show going. Uh, hey, everybody. So tonight's a little bit, uh, it's not a different episode. It's a, it's a format we've done before, uh, but with someone new. And this episode is going to be a little bit interesting, and and hopefully I can time it with a crossover uh, uh, with with something else that's cooking in the pot. Uh, But, you know, someone, ideally you've listened to this podcast and you're subscribed to 99% Invisible. And I just wanted to take a second to talk about Roman Mars. Uh, And actually, I just read the bio right from his site, uh, who's the host of 99% Invisible. A uh, radio show, a short radio show, and a, a podcast, and a worldwide phenomenon. So I already went off track there with the bio. Uh, with over 300 million downloads, uh, 99% Invisible Podcast. Oh, whoops, I already went off. Just <laughs> Sorry, Roman. It's a short radio show about design and architecture, also a podcast, with over 300 million downloads. One of the most popular podcasts in the world in not just in numbers, but in people's hearts. Uh, Fast Company named him one of the most creative people in 2013. He was on uh, the TED main stage in 2015. Uh, so you can check out both, uh, both those out. I'll link to those. It's currently the most popular TED Talk about design. Five million views, over five million views at this point. Uh, his crowdfunding campaigns have raised over $4 million, and he's the highest-funded journalist in Kickstarter history. He's also a co-founder of Radiotopia, a collective of groundbreaking independent podcasts. And I guess he's a shining example uh, 
of uh, how, how to do something of incredibly high quality podcast, but also of how to, he just sets a wonderful example. And there's a lot of stuff that people don't see in, in of raising other people's voices of uh, really uh, wor- working with people that are going to be making radio and podcasts uh, for the next uh, four or five decades. Uh, and just, just someone I, r- I really look up to, I really respect, uh, and I, I don't want to put a heap on the praise because it's, it's a, you know, this is like a double awkward vulnerability. But I, I did, I do tend to fan it. Sorry, sorry this, goes, this goes off the rails really fast, but I, I do tend to fantasize every once in a while about pitching Roman Mars. And, uh, like, uh, I, I don't know, every once in a while I'll say, huh, how come they, have they done 99 PI, 99 PI about that? And most of the time it's like, oh, they have, I just missed that somehow. Oh, first of all, if you haven't checked out 99% Invisible, it, it's uh, ostensibly a show about design and architecture. Uh, but really it, it's, it's a bit about everything. Uh, so, so do yourself a huge, huge favor. Listen to the, that during the day. And what kind of triggered me recording this episode was Roman and I were having a conversation because his voice is sometimes like uh, people repurpose it because it's buttery. I would say his voice is like a melodious butter. Also, I'm going to patent that too. Maybe we should do that. Maybe, I mean, maybe we could go into business together with that. Uh, It's like, uh, you know, they have greeting cards with melody in there. Or here's a hey, here's a butter company. If you're looking for rebrand, Melody Butter, uh, like a song in your you know, like a song in your mouth. We'll we'll work on the, the subtitle, but we could also all, we could sell that and melodious butter, the butter that comes with a melody, and it could be like a we could do a different ones. Like hey, just one pad only, Bob, you know, watch your butter and you know whatever. Anyway, just an idea. So I went off topic because we were having a conversation about how people have repurposed audio to fall asleep, uh, like 99PI, because of Roman's voice and it's just a, it his calming presence. And I really think it's more than that. It's like this deep uh, uh, curiosity uh, that resonates with people and this, that, that, that there's these wonderful things in the world worth exploring. Like, huh, why did they make this choice? Or how did that end up this way? Uh, so it's, uh, I don't think you could put human condition in there. But, I mean, really, it talks, uh, well, just listen and subscribe. But so we're we're having a conversation about that. And I've always thought about ideas I, I would pitch uh, Roman on, like I said. Uh, but then my critic gets in the way. And I said, well, I don't know, Drew, uh, and recently, like, actually, before we had this conversation, I was thinking of this one subject, and I was like, I, I said, well, they haven't done a 99PI about this subject. And I don't know if anybody has this happen to them, where you think of an idea, it, it, this is always a balance of str- you, that you need to strike sometimes. You have an idea, and at first you say, oh, boy, this is this is rock solid, uh, I mean, it felt like a kid in the newsroom that said, this story is going to, maybe a person with a cigar. Uh, and I said, this is a great idea. Then my critic, like two hours later, said, huh. I said, well, I wonder why they haven't done a story about this. Uh, and my critic said, because it's boring. 
And I said, really? And uh, so the idea was uh, like uh, carbon, uh, sparkling water, seltzer water. So I thought maybe I could get through, my, like, because then I said, well, I'll never, I'm never going to get past my critic to Roman. Like, it's like, uh, it's like, a, what do they call those? A door, a door person, uh, like, uh, preventing me. And I said, well, maybe, and maybe the my critic's right. Maybe I should say yes. So I said, before we can pitch Roman, let's pitch my critic and, uh, like carbonated water. So let's do a tiny bit of research. And by tiny bit, I mean going to Wikipedia. And let's just see what's on there. It's a fizzy water. Carbon dioxide gas under pressure has been dissolved in there, either by technology or by natural geologic source. And many kinds of water are carbonated. Mineral water, club soda, sparkling water, also called seltzer water in the U.S., uh, tonic water and soda water. Typically, they can contain dissolved minerals such as potassium bicarbonate, sodium bicarbonate, or potassium sulfide, which are meant to enhance its flavor. Though sparkling water is just carbon dioxide with nothing else. Uh, tonic water contains whatever, I can't say that word, quinine or whatever. That gives it uh, that little bitter taste. And carbonation is what makes the water effervescent. Now, here's where we get into the history. The first person to aerate water with carbon dioxide, according to Wikipedia, was William Brownrigg in 1740, though he never published a paper on it. It was also independently and accidentally invented by Joseph Priestley in 1767, the great-great-grandfather, Jason Priestley, but my imagination just said. I wonder what would carbonate—maybe they'll talk— Okay, he discovered a method of infusing water with carbon dioxide. After suspending a bowl of water above a beer vat at a brewery in England, he wrote of the peculiar satisfaction he found when drinking that. Uh, drinking it, I can agree with that, and he published— this is, you can't you can't make this up. Seventeen seventy two, a paper impregnating water with fixed air. Uh, later, he he was like, uh, no, I'm just kidding. I, I can only imagine if I wrote his fictional autobiography. Priestley's apparatus, played by Jason Priestley, by the way, in the movie version. Uh, Priestley's apparatus, which featured a bladder between the generator and the absorption tank to regulate the flow, flow of carbon dioxide. You know, it was soon copied, and it wasn't until 1781 that it began to be mass-produced uh, by companies specializing in it. The first factory was built by Thomas Henry in Manchester, England, and Priestley's regarded as the father of the soft drink, which uh, maybe may he may live in infamy, not just for impregnating water. Uh, he did, uh, however, receive... Uh, uh, science, he didn't make any money, of course, off of it. That never happens. Uh, he did get some re- recognition, though. Uh, in 1772, uh, the Council of the Royal Society uh, re- rewarded him with the Copley Medal. So let's see if there's any other history here. There's, uh, and I don't know. This may not, uh, like, uh, so, so that was one of the things I thought about. And, and, and I was like, okay, that doesn't exactly help our case yet. Uh, cause I was thinking, I mean, at least there's some interesting is, is, is there, but I said, okay, not for 90, and, and it's like, uh, 
Like we need a we need a little bit more juice for the story, or maybe that it's uh, nested in some other issue. And and there is the whole idea of the soda taxes and all the companies getting into the sparkling water business. But I had been thinking about seltzer water, and when I think about seltzer water. For some reason, at first I picture my dad just, and I think he didn't drink seltzer water, but I think of the generate, I think like that of my parents' generation as being the seltzer generation. And at first you might find that strange and probably with good reason, but I would say my generation is probably the soda generation. Uh, and ideally after us, it'll be, I don't know, will it be the bubbly, hopefully it'll be a bubbly generation, like a positive empowered bubbly. Uh, but also for, you know, drinking bubbly water. Or maybe it'd just be, uh, I don't know, maybe at some point in two or three generations, people will start just absorbing water from the air. I don't know, like, where we're at in the evolutionary timeline. Uh, but my mind immediately went to seltzer uh, water, and particularly seltzer bottles. Uh, because when I was a kid, I watched a lot of Three Stooges, Laurel and Hardy, and in and in, uh, in other c- c- comedy like that, even though it was uh, like uh, repeats or whatever, and I'd say like forty five percent of the gags on those show, the physical gags, involved a seltzer bottle, which was a big glass bottle that contained carbonated water, and you could shake it up, and then you, it was like a it was like a cool, uh, high powered, you know, bubble powered carbon dioxide. Uh, driven uh, squirt gun for adults. And what would inev- inevitably happen in a good way was that there would usually be a, like a Monopoly Man type character in a tuxedo, just like the Monopoly Man is, uh, making, you know, some sort of hubbub about something. And a lot of times what the Stooges would probably be working there as caterers, uh, like, and in, in they're supposed to, I don't know, they were probably supposed to be working as caterers for some other scheme that Mo had. And what would happen is, like, usually Larry would, would get his fingers caught in a lobster crab claw. And then uh, Mo and Curly would have some sort of disagreement right at the height of, maybe this was a Monopoly man running for office. Uh, he said, I've made all this money. Uh and uh, it really, it really means I know what I'm doing, you know, blah, blah, blah. And what would happen is Mo would actually go to get Curly with the water, and Curly would dive out of the way, and Mo would spray the politician with the seltzer, who would make one of those sounds that uh, they. So you should watch this. This stuff's all available, I think, uh, to stream somewhere. And then the person would say, like, they'd make it like a blubbering sound after they were sprayed. And then they would call, they'd say, remove them from my presence. Uh, and also other things that would happen would be like, uh, then the, the the lobster would be on Moe's nose eventually. Uh, curl, then they'd have more, also all to other seltzer bottles. And it would kind of go from there. And what's my point? Uh, I don't know. I just went off and uh, went on. So I, I, will be, I was thinking about these seltzer bottles. And I said, okay, critic, uh, well, if you won't let me get to Roman with seltzer, 
what about the story of the seltzer? And and my critic said, it's soda siphon, by the way. And I said, oh, look at this very light Wikipedia article. Uh, A soda siphon or seltzer bottle is a device for dispensing carbonated or soda water. Uh, Introduced as early as 1790, according to Wikipedia, in France, it's self-pressurized carbonated beverages. In uh, 1829, two Frenchmen patented a hollow corkscrew that could be inserted into a soda bottle and by use of a valve allow a portion of the contents to be dispensed while maintaining pressure on the inside of the bottle. Uh, They were popular in the 20s and 30s, which would say before my dad's generation. And uh, a lot of it, well, great job. WW2 actually was what led to the decline of the popularity, uh, though the bottles are still used. Uh, commercial in production, uh, commercial production and delivery of pre-filled seltzer uh, continued in Southern California and in the East uh, up until 2009. Uh, and such delivery continues in Argentina, Vienna, Austria, and Toronto, Canada, uh, for making single-use sealed bottles. Well, we don't. I think one of the things I always thought of was that they weren't single-use. They were. They never seemed like they were single use, that they were recycled, just like recyclable milk uh, when they came in glass. Yeah, commercially refillable bottles at a seltzer plant. Uh, and that's really all the uh, Wikipedia article has. So that doesn't really do us any good. So then I was like, okay, well, not, like my critic's never going to let me get this stuff out. How am I going to get past it? And then I said, okay, let's do some value. I said, well, you really, you really got a great point. Uh, I don't know if there is a story here with the seltzer and the, the soda bottles. And I said, well, where's my attention go? Naturally, is back to the Three Stooges. And I don't know if the Three Stooges and Larry, uh, Laurel and Hardy ever did any crossovers. They're slightly, they're uh, fairly similar, uh, but a little bit slightly different. And I think maybe uh, generationally there was a, maybe a decade or two between them. But I'm, again, this is just based on assumptions. Sorry, Larry, Moe, Curly. I think Larry, Sue, Shemp, uh, Laurel, and Hardy for making asses out of you and me. Uh, but another thing that inevitably happens in these movies, especially in these uh, scenes where the, uh, the three, is there a, here's another question, an impossible another business is uh, Three Stooges Catering. Uh, is there, a, there must be a catering company called Three Stooges Catering. Uh, but when they're involved in waitering or catering, uh, they like then there'll be a banana cream pie fluff, a, a fight with banana cream pies, and a banana cream pie. It just to to to, to touch base is used. It was a big comedy thing, and it, since it's been kind of repurposed with shaving cream, as both kind of a, a funny thing and also a way to kind of express displeasure in a more a stronger way. Uh, but a banana cream pie was a pie that you would put in other people's faces, or and they were very good at being thrown by the stooges in like in these situations. Because then, usually, like with the monopoly person who was giving the speech, uh, 
uh, we'll say, it's, I don't know whose their name was. Uh, just think of a familiar name up there saying, I've made my money, like I know what I'm doing. There would usually be a small class struggle. And the, the pie, usually the pie thing would help, uh, I don't know, just help uh, play out the conflict. Oh, but I was trying to actually explain what a banana cream pie was. So, so a pie, you know what a pie tin is, right? And then there's a crust. I don't think it always had a crust, but I think in the Stooges it did. And it would make sense that it would have a crust because it, I think with its propulsion and its balance and its delivery, it gives it a little bit more mass and it holds the banana cream together. But usually then it would be a layer of banana cream, which my understanding is very much like pudding or like a set custard and then covered in a layer of whipped cream. And so if you've never seen, I'm sure if you search YouTube for banana, well, no, never mind. Don't do that, actually, because <laughs> I don't know what will come up. Uh, but there's a great article, actually, over at the New York Times uh, that I'll just try to barely paraphrase and quote from uh, by Dan Barry, uh, July 8th, 2015, uh, Comedy Sweet Weapon, The Cream Pie. And it talks about uh, the history of uh, film comedy in uh, Sweet Pies and uh, uh, The Great Race, a 65 movie with Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon, uh, The Battle of the Century, uh, 1927 Laurel and Hardy shorts, 3,000 Pies Thrown with Slow Burn Precision. And Leonard Malton once said, it's a holy grail, it's a holy grail of comedy. Uh, talking about comedic shorts, uh, because uh, for several decades, uh, quoting from the article, the 20-minute two-reel classic has been missing its second reel. Oh, the two-reel classic uh, being the second half of the Laurel and Hardy short. And, uh, oh, this is really interesting, actually. Uh, so the second half of the movie has been missing. And, John, uh, so okay, so I don't want to ruin this article. This is a, like... Uh, I guess, like, so this could be interesting. So they could be there. But then my critic's saying, well, it's like, uh, it's Dan Barry's business, Scoots, not yours. So then I said to myself, I said, well, let's go, let's go to beautiful downtown Oakland, California. And let's, uh, let's walk around Oakland and try to, try to get an idea of what we would do. Uh, cause maybe there's not a, uh, uh, so, well, maybe I could pitch a fiction. What if there was a, a 99 PI, the almost fa nearly, fa nearly factual, uh, barely 99% fictional, 99% invisible. I don't know. I guess I'd have to think of the, uh, but so I got on a bus, a 51A, the sweetest of the sweet for me, buses. And now a lot of people don't, I don't think anyone knows this except for my daughter, uh, but I have uh, made a, uh, a challenge coin belt. Uh, and I was, I was uh, too scared to bring this up with Roman because of my basic design. Uh, and also he said, call me Mr. Mars, please. And I said, what about, how do you feel about Mars bars? And he said, well, which brand? And I said, no, no, like, how do you feel about me calling you Mars bars? And, uh, it was, so it was a brief, it was a brief conversation we had after, after that, it was Kurtz, I would say, 
Uh, but it, so I didn't get a chance to show him my uh, challenge coin belts. And also, I guess I'm still a little bit feeling like, uh, you know, because it only gets to show off one side of the challenge coin. Uh, but it's a great, it makes for a great belt buckle. And uh, but it's not exactly a high design, though. So that's another reason I said, let me keep it to myself because I don't want Roman to say, how'd you make that? And I'd say, well, with magic, uh, how else? Uh, uh, so, but I did put on my belt. I said, okay, I have the belt. So I have the spirit of 99% invisible and uh, radiotopia behind me at my waist. Uh, you know, I said, okay, that feels good. I, I'm not a superhero, but that'll help me. It'll give me like something to focus my extra energy on. And so I took the bus to a place uh, right at uh, the like uh, like down Broadway in Oakland uh, to I think it's like where the 16th Street Bart Station is or the 19th Street Bart Station. And this was a fateful intersection for the podcast and another thing with design. So I said, let me start there. I'll start walking around and talking to my belt like it's Roman Mars, and we'll figure out a pitch uh, to, for the show. And I said, uh, and I could call my belt Mars Bars. So we got there, and on, on the corner of that intersection is uh, the old Sears building. And I don't know the history of it before. I think I have talked about it on the podcast. And I've always found Sears in these urban centers. So, so this was a Sears department store. And it stayed open in, in downtown Oakland, uh, like up until probably like four or five years ago when it was purchased uh, to be converted into offices. And I don't think that worked out and they're maybe converting it to offices or uh, work live spaces now. But when I lived in the Bronx, too, there was a right in the middle of the Bronx, right near where I was studied, was a Sears as well. And so I have a soft spot for these Sears that I say, wow, they really, uh, it's, it's nice to have a department store. And, and it was an institution. It was there always. It wasn't there when things got hot and popular. It was there for people to go shop uh and say, well, I, you know, I, I got to go to a wedding or whatever, or, you know, I need to do some shopping uh, for the holidays or, or, you know, things you'd buy at Sears. That's another podcast. Uh, but I can remember, so the whole idea of these urban Sears has always appealed to me. And I can remember standing there in the holiday season, either before I started the podcast or right after it, and thinking about the Sears and just feeling a connection to it in some way uh, because of its connection to its past, because of its uniqueness. And this was a really beautiful building as well. And I don't know, I just liked it. I said, you know what, I like the cut of your jib, Sears. Thanks for being here in, in beautiful downtown Oakland, California. And in the Bronx, you know, we're, we're back on Fordham Road. So... And I think right around that time, not that long after, it was when I um, uh, was, uh, I said, are you still listening to me? I looked down at my belt, and I said, I think my belt is still listening. And I said, well, then I also found this blog or this Tumblr uh, that was about uh, JCPenney's that uh, in the, that it, uh, it's declined. It was just pictures from JC, sad JCPenney or something it was called. It'll be pictures from JCPenney stores that weren't looking so great. 
And those two things were really the genesis uh, for one of our longer-running uh, series, uh, Get Bessos. Uh, nothing to do like with the character. It was three fictional characters, uh, J.C. Penny, James Cash Penny, Richard Warren Sears, and another character, Jif. Uh, and so I've always had a great uh, affection for that Sears. So that's why I wanted to start walking with you, Belt, here. You know, I was thinking about... Uh, uh, talking to you, I know you you specialize in in uh, uh, like uh, topics uh, where that are well researched and kind of uh, finding a way. I think the story is one thing. Uh, there's a great episode of How Sound, uh, but that uh, that there's a that's another podcast for people to check out. In nesting stories within one another. And I, you know, I'd love like, like, uh, but, but you know, I, I was just uh, like thinking of, uh, you know, facts. I, I try to, I try to stay aware of facts and things, but I wanted to ask you, like, how do you feel about, uh, um, uh, Tim Curry and Rick Moranis? And there was, that's when there was silence from my belt. And that's when there was silence from my belt. And you might ask, well, how, how do you know your belt was being silent? I said, well, because it wasn't sighing at every other thing I said. Or, like, it's strange. When a belt rolls its eyes, it makes a noise. I mean, mostly because my shirt was over it. So, you know, its, it's body language has to it be audible so that I know when it's, uh, when it's doing these things. It helps get, keep, my, keep me focused. And I knew I had And I said, well, I, here's the thing. I said, well, let me take a, what if I take a you? Uh, and I pitch, I don't just pitch Roman Mars. I pitch Tim Curry and, uh, Rick Moranis on an idea. And my belt was still quiet. So I started walking, uh, down towards Lake Merritt. And I said, okay, I'll do a couple loops of Lake Merritt's, uh, the jewel of Oakland. And I started walking around the shores of Lake Merritt on, on a nice path there. Beautiful day, a lot of friendly smiles and waves, uh, people jogging, people biking, people walking, people talking. And it's just surrounded by this beautiful string of lights and uh, it, worth it. Uh, even if you're visiting, if you're visiting San Francisco, come to Oakland already. Go look at the old Sears building for one second that Scooter mentioned. And uh, then go on. And then, uh, so my belt said, okay, go on. Tell me more. Tell me more about this idea you have. I said, so I'm thinking of seltzer bottles, right? And uh, the seltzer water and the history of seltzer, which could be contained at the beginning of this podcast and not really get any, you know, foothold. But I think there's something more there, at least for me. And then I started actually picturing Rick Moranis propelling. This was probably not the tone of the comedy I was thinking of. But when you get Rick Moranis in your brain, you know, things happen. And I was picturing Rick Moranis with two seltzer bottles, a super high. This maybe was more Wayne Zielinski, a character played by Rick Moranis. But with two seltzer bottles at each hip uh, and then launch, you know, launching himself into the air. And I heard my belt like make a like a non-negative shoulder shrug, and I said, "Okay, okay, Mars Bars, we might be onto something here." Um, 
He said, I don't think that's a plot. I said, that was just a gimmick. But I think that would be the thing is, uh, what if we find a way uh, for Rick Moranis and Tim Curry? There's two ways we could go with it, okay? It could be competitive. They both own, because the only places, the best places to start a bespoke seltzer business I'd say it would be Oakland or Brooklyn, maybe Portland, Seattle, San Francisco. Uh, but I said, you, you know, you could, uh, Oakland would be a good testing ground for, you know, if you, it was just side gig. And it could be bicycle delivered, seltzer, re, you know, deposit bottles, recyclable. You could build a whole story into it. You could flavor it not with natural essences in quotes, uh, uh, you know, generally known to be uh, barely, you know, you know how they do that. Uh, it could be with real essences. It could even be a storefront. No, okay, now we're on to something. I didn't even think about this because uh, I don't know how I feel about Rick Moranis and Tim Curry uh, competing with one another, except that maybe that would make it good reason, like Rick Moranis. It's I, this would be more of a used car salesman lot move, but that for promotion. So we could go back to that. We, we we don't have to figure out the whole story right now. And right then, I was passing Children's Fairyland of Oakland, which is a small uh, amusement. I don't know if amusement park, a fa- fairy tale land uh, for children. And I headed down around. Uh, the fence for Children's Fairyland, there's a bandstand down there and a small beach and a fountain. And it was it's one of those beautiful old bandstands. I don't know if it's made from uh, concrete or stone. Uh, you see, And sometimes you just go there and there's a band playing on the weekends, like a big band or a smaller big band. And I stopped at the water. And I was, you know, trying because I was trying to think of the next idea for the seltzer water when I got down there. They said, okay, bike delivery, that would probably work too. It would be tough in Oakland, like uh, if somebody was in the hills or depending on stuff, but we could figure that out and we could partner. There's no reason to say it's a hundred percent Luddite. It could be 90, it couldn't be 99 percent Luddite. Uh, but we could say, you know, delivered in this region by bicycle. Uh, here's another. Tim Curry just called in with this idea, actually, to my brain. Delivered by bicycle or natural gas. Thank you, Tim. So maybe, I guess the idea would be that Tim, I guess we'd have to do, we'd have to do a callback and say, what would uh, Laurel, Hardy, Mel, Shemp, uh, Oh, there's no Mel in those movies. Okay, Moe, Shemp, uh, Curly, Curly, Sue, and Larry do. And I guess we'd have to put it uh, like uh, regular working wage earners versus, uh, the, the, you know, the bigwigs, the investments. Uh, so I think they could be renting a store. I, I would love to put it at the Grand Lake Theater, one of the beautiful... Uh, movie palaces in Oakland, which is lucky enough to have a few different movie palaces, uh, the Paramount Theater and then the Fox Theater, which are both uh, more performance spaces now, but uh, you can still see movies uh, at the uh, Paramount. And I've seen Welcome to Night Vale at the Fox Theater. 
Uh, but so we, if we could get a store there in a window, Rick Moranis, and maybe Mars, maybe we could have Roman Mars be an intern or uh, their next door neighbor. So we get you in the movie. But so they have a store, a store there. Or maybe, no, no, I, I got a better idea. Uh, like you're the behind the scenes uh, creator of the essences. You've uh, taken your knowledge of uh, plants and chemistry, uh, but in an organic way and through experimentation, you know, purely above board. Uh, maybe some distillation and evaporation. I don't know what techniques you would use. But you're the, the uh, we'll f- figure out a thing to call it. But the, uh, for now, this is a made up name, Essence Scientist. Oh no, Doctor of Essence. Uh, and you'll have a lab coat, of course. Of course, of course. Uh, I've never seen a belt in a lab coat. But once we get this to, 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 to Dr. Mars, uh, the Doctor of Essence, or, and it could say Dr. Mars on the name tag. But so you would be working in the back, and uh, Rick and Tim would be partners there, and they would be running this uh, seltzer business. And I think we could also put it as like a, as we as a society also have to be open to the diversity of ages and the ability for people to reinvent themselves at different ages is like a, a tribute to rediscovering that, that uh, you can also reinvent yourself uh, wherever you are. Is that maybe their backstory that doesn't go in the movie is that this is like, uh, they say, well, we don't, you know, we don't want to retire. We, we love seltzer. Uh, you're right. There, maybe there should be some, I don't, I don't like inciting incidents, but in this case it would be, it doesn't even have to be in the, the story. Oh, is this a podcast episode? I'm sorry, I didn't. Know, I didn't know you could speak belt. Uh, uh, but uh, it, I don't know. It's become a bit of a, a dream, dr- a dreamy story. Um, it, so uh, Tim Curry, Rick Moranis, so they have the seltzer business. It, get, it gets it gets a little bit better, and then we'll, we'll get. And not only that. Uh, I think on the weekends, uh, they work something out with uh, the city of Oakland because they have the Grand uh, uh, Grand Lake Farmer's Market on the weekends. I think it's on Saturdays there. And what they do is uh, even when they deliver the seltzer, every bottle of seltzer, when it's delivered, comes with a banana cream pie. So I guess it's not exactly uh, for everybody to be subscribing to this service. But they've also integrated themselves in all of the local restaurants and stuff. And, yeah, it's a big deal. Uh, I mean, even if it was like a Rick Moranis and Tim Curry playing Rick Moranis and Tim Curry, I don't know. Maybe we do we do something different. Maybe they were both uh, famous, um, like, I don't know, part, part of the most famous, like, poverty. What was that? Uh, they, they were the two tenors before earlier in life. Or they were the three tenors with, like, uh, Steve Martin, uh, let's just say, if Steve Martin would be interested in this, uh, which is probably probably not likely. But uh, I, I don't have a piece of clothing uh, named, I guess maybe if I, had a ja- if I had a jacket, I would name it the Martin. But so 
where was I? So another part of their business is that each delivery or maybe something or your first delivery comes with a banana cream pie. But then on Saturdays or maybe one Saturday a year, you can uh, come in the block off the street in front of the store and maybe you pay a, a nominal fee. And you can get in a, there's like a, uh, some, you know, they've done all the, they know this is, uh, you could eat, all you could eat banana cream pie, maybe not. But maybe like, okay, I got it. Each, uh, once, uh, once a month during the, one of the, um, farmers markets, you get to throw, uh, banana cream pies at a politician and all the money go, you buy a pie for $5. And it's sure, it's a light pie, it, you know, you know, totally, hypoallergenic, all that. And each pie, you know, then all the money goes to charity. And it goes to 50-50, like 50% to local Oakland-based charities, another 50% to national causes. Or and maybe like, or maybe 50%, and maybe 20% goes, 10% goes to like a Three Stooges Foundation, and 10% goes to a Laurel and Hardy one. I don't know about that part. Or maybe like a film preservation. And maybe at some point, maybe this becomes a Goonies-like adventure. I don't know. This just took a turn on me. Uh, but what if that missing reel of tape is also a quest? Would that that be, say, okay, save it for the sequel. Hardy har har. What does that hardy har har mean? Okay, so let's get back. So they have the store. They're a beloved fixture in the community. They have a beloved seltzer that's getting delivered door to door. Uh, and of course they say, well, it's not that they're anti-business. They say, Hey, this is pretty nice. We just prefer doing it this way. Small scale, hand batched, you know, sure. They're the butt of jokes and maybe they, maybe that's it. Steve Martin opens up one in Brooklyn. Is there, their East, East coast operation. Uh, or something we got we could go with ideas for for you know film the fill parts of the movie but so and then also you get to spray the politician like after the politician gets pied it then you get to spray them off with seltzer like maybe someone wins that award or the mc or that's like 300 bucks also politician doesn't get any money they just get free promotion which uh is good, and then if they don't want to do it, they could use local podcasters. Not anyone that works in Oakland, though. People that like from Alameda, like Scoots. Actually, people could just throw pies at me if it's for charity, whenever they want. I mean, not when it's a surprise. And then that's another aspect of their business that they start to come up with because they say, "Well, we need another revenue source." So, what about surprise pies and seltzer with permission, like an opt-in? And mostly they do this at, like, the professional sports games, like the Warriors games, uh, where a Warriors player can do this for another one. And then at the interview, they get pied, which happens a lot, or at the Oakland A's games. And maybe they get seltzered, too, to clean off the pie. And you say, well, that tastes pretty good. It's a little bit strange, carbonated banana cream pie in my mouth, but it's not bad, and it makes it, makes it easier to see. So that would be, you know, the good part of the movie. Like, uh, maybe they have some ups and downs. Yeah, like they say, well, we're raising your rent. So then they come up with this idea of doing these things. I think my belt is asleep, too. 
but at some point, of course, we introduce the idea. Okay, I just, okay, my brain is going a little bit faster than even we need to. I think Rick Moranis is shooting through my brain. But so, but so at some point, because Oakland is such a great demographic to serve, uh, so rich, uh, is it like in cultural heritage and diversity that, uh, is that a big a big bottle company comes and they say, well, we're going to start our own uh, delivery service. Maybe there's like a seltzer, you know, people are like, uh, seltzer's even more popular than it is now. And they try to buy out, maybe, like, yeah, I guess this would be, it. We'll, we'll, we'll go through this rather a little bit faster, but uh, they first they make an offer and to Curry, you know, Curry Mars and, it could be like a, they could say that at the door. What would we say? Uh, uh, Curry, Moranis, and Mars. Maybe it'd be, maybe we could get Steph Curry just as like a, like we don't need to do Space Jam, but that'd be pretty good. Curry, Curry, Moranis, and Mars. Moranis, Mars, and Curry. My belt doesn't. Mars, Moranis, and Curry. Okay, I got you. My belt wanted that first. Mars, Curry, Curry, Moranis. Yeah, we could we could talk it out. And they make an offer on the business that they don't sell. They say, no, 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 this isn't, we can get into the seltzer business for money. We got in the business for the love of banana cream pies and making natural essences, wearing lab coats. And also, you know, Rick dreams of uh, launching, you know, creating a propulsion system as, you know, pretending to be Wayne Zielinski on Halloween Really, it was just a string. That could be another thing. Okay, this could be, that could be it. That could be the strange turning point. So they go back and forth with the business. This is straight out of the, I think this movie might have come out in the 1980s anyway. And they say, well, we're going to buy a, the Monopoly Man from the uh, Three Stooges movies. Only in the Three Three Stooges movies. Never heard of anyone like that. But uh, he's making offers. Trying to get them to sell, they won't sell. So then, what happens is, uh, is they're going to have a big Curry, Curry, Moranis, and Mars, or Mar- you know, they're going to have a big, a big fundraiser for Halloween. And Rick, they do a, they put a crane up, a uh, hidden on the roof of uh, the uh, Grand Lake Theater, and Rick pretends to be shooting shooting off like with seltzer rockets, but really it's just a, a trick, an illusion. Uh, but the crane accidentally cracks the roof of the, the the theater, and I guess maybe there was a scene where Tim and uh, Roman were like, "Rick, don't do this. It's too it's too spect- spectacular, pretending like." Uh, because maybe Rick's the one feeling the pressure. Like, we have to do something big in order to uh, counteract the PR campaign from uh, Big Water. And so the theater's damaged, and they say, okay, I guess maybe this is, is this, was this the plot to break in, uh, uh, break into Electric Boogaloo? So maybe this is an accidental uh, reinvention of that. But what happens is the theater gets damaged, and... The theater, turns out, didn't have the insurance or because of the preservation. They said, well, we can't afford to fix the theater. we got to fix the roof before the rain comes. 
Also, they say, Rick, you got to pay the bill because you didn't have a permit to be fake uh, seltzer launching into space. And that would be good because then we could find an emotional thing where Rick was, and we could do a scene with Rick walking around Lake Moran, Lake Moranis, uh, Lake Merritt. Uh, but so big, big water comes in and they're going to fix everything. They're going to fix the theater. They're going to buy the theater. And they somehow, you know, they make a deal. They say, okay, well, well, you know, if you give us your business, we'll fix the theater. And maybe something else uh, that they need. I don't know what else they could buy. I don't know what else uh, Roman Mars, uh, Rick Moranis, and Tim McCurry could possibly need. Uh, but if we fictionalize it, we could come up with one more layer. It's, you know, some emotional layer. And so then they say, okay, well, I guess this isn't fully formed. But they say, no, no. And maybe it even splits the three of them up. Like, yeah, I think that's probably good. And that they each are thirty three percent stake, and maybe Rick's like so down that he says, "I don't, you know, I just want to fix this." And I don't know who would be, uh, like uh, the one that would say, "Okay, let's just sell." And it's a sixty six thirty three percent split. So they say uh, they're going back and forth. Should we give up? Uh, should we give this over to Big Water? Especially Tim and Rick are like, yeah, we're just we're just trying to like enjoy the, the, this, this season of our lives, uh, and uh, so something happens, and then what always works in this movie, especially with the tradition we're trying to call back to, I guess it could be we could just shoehorn the sequel right in there. Rick comes back with the second reel of the movie, everything's fixed. No, that's not good enough. Okay, my belt said that's not good enough. Okay, so actually what they could do is uh, they could have the giant fundraiser. That's what the that's the other thing. And they could get celebrity, like they go, it goes viral. And maybe they, no, how about this? They say, if this could be, uh, this, I don't think I've seen Space Jam but what if there's like a Steph Curry was in it? Let's back it up. Uh, and they say, okay, uh, this is the board of directors of our company. We can add one other player and we'll play each other in basketball for, for the whole thing. The theater, the seltzer business, the essences, the Dr. Mars uh, uh, the scientist jacket or lab coat. I'll even throw in my belt. Oh, no, my belt doesn't want to be thrown in. Okay, so well, there's a, a basketball game. It has to be the board of directors or the owners. And they say, okay, yeah, we'll just bring our board of directors, right? And so they, but then they show up for the basketball game with all of the, you know, the, the players, the Warriors have, uh, I guess this, is a, this probably would only work as like uh, one Maybe we could do this like each market, the movie changes. We film this like scene a thousand times. But, you know, they show up with like the CEO of the company who has to play in the game. Uh, the COO, who is also a character in the movie we never identified or created yet, or the story. And then like James Harden, uh, Russell Westbrook, and then I don't know who the third player would be. Like, whichever players get the Warriors fans the most uh, going, uh, definitely those two. I mean, personally, I like Joel 
Uh, personally, I like to see Joel Embiid in, in there because uh, I think he just has a very high, like long term uh, high side, and he's pretty funny. Yeah, uh, but you could have LeBron. That would be star power. You could even have MJ. Maybe they can have a bench, and they have like LeBron and MJ, and Joel Embiid. Uh, maybe Steph. Uh, I guess we could get for, for for our team. We could get Ryan Coogler. I don't know if he plays basketball. Maybe he'd want to make. I don't think he'd want to make this movie either. But uh, since he's one of the most successful directors in the history of the world, uh, so maybe not. But we could get. Uh, uh, but I guess we'd have like uh, Marshawn Lynch and uh, Damian Lillard on the team. Um, maybe Tom Hanks would make an appearance. Uh, maybe another thing I was thinking is like uh, maybe Rick Moranis isn't there for this. He's gone, so they haven't been able to vote or something. Or the uh, I don't know. We, we could figure that out. Yeah, you're right. You're right, Belt. Uh, also, I'd like to see something with the Tribune Tower, like uh, maybe Avery and Claude from 99PI and uh, Claude Neon are up there. Uh, maybe they're doing a game, like a play-by-play commentary. Uh, so, the, so, okay, so there's the big game. And, of course, I don't know what happens in the game, but, like, the, you know, the team, the, the Monopoly team... Uh, uh, Team Tower, or whatever you want to call them, they end up winning. Or maybe they almost win. Or maybe it's like some sort of, I think we have to have a banana cream pie seltzer battle, of course. And then maybe I would think that another good way to finish it is like uh, that Rick, who's been down, maybe Dr. Mars has invented an actual... Like, so last, there's like the clock's ticking down. They've legally somehow in the rules had a huge banana cream pie fight so that no one could get to the basket anymore. Like, because they said, oh, well, we, we yeah, of course we have James Harden and we, there are no rules uh, or something. And so they said, fine, we're going to have a giant banana cream pie fight. They're up and, uh, or it's a tie game. And then there's a seltzer fight at the same time. And then Rick Moranis comes, uh, and, and he's down. And they say, Rick, we need you. We can't. And then uh, Roman, Dr. Mars, uh, says, I've finally perfected uh, propellant, the propellants you know, the, the, for a new way to power scooters uh, to get on your nerves and ride around. Uh, but I think it'll work for you, Rick. Uh, and he throws the seltzer bottle to Rick Moranis. And Rick Moranis, you know, grabs the ball that was in the air going to the basket, but not on its way down to win uh, for the other team. And he, he grabs it, he launches himself with the seltzer. Maybe he already did. And, of course, dunks the ball. Uh, timer expires. Everyone cheers. Then there's even more pie fighting or something. And then there's that moment in, in almost every imaginary pie fight I've imagined where everybody starts to lock eyes because they're overcome in the moment. Uh, the moment, the heady scent of banana cream pie has consumed them. Uh, the physical joy of uh, pressing down on a, a silver stainless steel lever and launching seltzer 
uh, you know, it's fired them up, uh, and everyone's like exhausted from uh, physical exertion of pie throwing and basketball and laughing. And people just start to put their arms around each other, laughing. And that's it. Then the um, billionaire says, you know what? Uh, is, you know, sign me up for uh, giving all my money to everybody that needs it. Uh, and let's do this thing. Uh, I've, never, I've never felt more alive. And I guess that would, that would be how it would end. Uh, I mean, but then I, uh, I think... Uh, I think even uh, my belt has drifted off here. It was a challenge, uh, putting this challenge coin to sleep, uh, walking through uh, Oakland, California, beautiful downtown Oakland, California. And, uh, you know, I hope everybody's resting. I want to thank everybody at 99PI, Roman Mars, uh, Radiotopia, PRX, uh, all my friends there. And everybody at Night Vale Presents, I want to thank Sears because uh, without Sears, I wouldn't have had you get, I probably wouldn't have a podcast, to be honest. And JCPenney, whoever made that Tumblr or blog about sad JCPenney's or whatever it was called, I can't remember. Uh, Wikipedia, uh, Dan Barry at the New York Times, uh, all resting together. Uh, Larry, Moe, Shemp, uh, Curly Sue, uh, Curly, uh, Laurel Hardy, uh, Ryan C., uh, Dame, uh, Steph, Marshawn, uh, Russell, LeBron, Michael J., uh, James Harden, and did I have any other? Oh, Joel, of course, Joel. You're, I'm tucking you in the most because you're just a cute. You, you know, I know you don't want to hear this, but you're, you're like your uh, your fierceness is the cutest in the NBA. So let me tuck you in here with these uh, special, and I'm only tuck you in too. I forgot you were here too. Let me tuck my shirt into you, my belt. Uh, but everyone else, uh, you know, get comfy. The scent of uh, banana cream pies on the air. It's ba- It's that warm baking scent. Uh, you're calm. You're settled, uh, just like you were in that. Uh, your muscles now are relaxed as you uh, sink uh, deeper and deeper into sleep. With that, you know, calm, placid look on your face. Uh, and you could see again a slow motion of Rick Moranis dunking. You could see that he has leg warmers on, or those striped socks pulled up high, headbands, wristbands, and uh, of course he's propelled by a, a ultra powerful bottle of seltzer. And good night. I want to say thanks, thanks, you know, for some uh, support on PayPal. I want to thank uh, Sasha and uh, Sherry and uh, uh, for, for, for supporting the show on uh, PayPal. And over on Venmo, I want to thank Anya, who, who hopefully made it uh, through the finals, and uh, Joan uh, for supporting the show on Venmo. 
And then I want to thank everybody who reviewed the show on Apple Podcasts. Uh, City View 11, who said, very effective and fun. I would greatly recommend this podcast. Uh, if your mind is racing and not allowing you to sleep, the perfect podcast to listen to. You just relax and listen to Scooter's calming voice, even when I could fall asleep just fine. Uh, this is a pleasant way to fall asleep. It might take a few tries, but it's worth it. Uh, and then Antimatters, uh, another podcast, I guess. Uh, I love it. Uh, I fall asleep uh, every night. This podcast, I have no idea what he's talking about. Uh, E.L. Malloy says, helps a veteran in my life. I haven't listened to many of these, but I know they're bound to become a regular in my home. My partner is a veteran. And these are the kind of ones that are really touching. Uh, my partner's a veteran after being home for five years now. It still deals, deals with a lot. And I discovered this podcast a few nights ago. It's definitely helped uh, put them to sleep faster and more peacefully. Uh, thanks, Scooter. I also want to thank uh, 72EMCD, who says uh, they deal with a lot, and this is a one non-prescription thing that allows them to sleep consistently. Thanks, Scoots. Thank you. Uh, Dog Mom uh, says without, it would be tough to sleep without sleep with me. And Nullity says uh, that kind of rhymes. It makes me want, like, want to sing like a, uh, like a Will Smith song or something when I say Nullity. I don't know why. Uh, can't sleep without it in my sleep phones. Uh, uh, not only just at work, but at nap time at lunch. Uh, so this is a few people I uh, wanted to thank. Thank you so much. If you want to review the show on Apple Podcasts, uh, just open it up in your app uh, and search for Sleep With Me or on iTunes on your desktop. Uh, thanks, everybody, and good night.